This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book Four, Coming Home. Chapter Five. G was angry. Well, to be accurate, she wasn't actually angry yet. She was rehearsing being angry with her brother once she caught up with him again. She moved through the dim passageways, turning this way and that in the hopes that she might run across him or, failing that, locate the way she had come in. She wasn't sure what she wanted more right now. If she found her brother, he could help them get out. If she found the way out, she could go ahead and do what he had told her to do. She knew that he was going to be mad at her for not going for help, but she was also going to be pretty mad at him as well. G didn't know what was happening with her brother. At home he'd been nice enough, a bit of a know-it-all, but that's big brothers all over, isn't it? And he had a tendency to be moody and go off by himself, which was fine since he wasn't all that much fun to be around. But she loved him. She could count on him to help her if she needed it. He'd taken the training wheels off her bike when her mother had said it was too soon. He believed in her. And, she supposed, she and him. He'd always been special, always able to pick your thoughts out of the air without even trying, and he was a wizard at finding things that were lost. So she'd been a little jealous at first, to know that the king had given him superpowers. That was how she thought of it. He was like something from a comic book now, reading minds. She couldn't help but wonder why she hadn't been chosen. It wasn't fair. He always got to do more because he was older. He could stay up later and watch scarier movies. He could go to the mall on his bike. He could read minds. They shouldn't have split up, she thought to herself as she walked through the maze. It was a stupid idea. In every movie, when you split up, the monster got you. There was strength in numbers. He should have known better. He was just trying to protect you, she whispered to herself. He wanted to make sure you were okay. Of course I'm okay, she answered. I'm always okay. He's the one who needs a babysitter. It was true. There was something different about him, vulnerable and sensitive. He didn't have many friends. But the bullies, they absolutely loved him. G had learned that little sisters don't get thanked when they rescue their older brothers from bullies on the playground. She knew that he would much rather get beaten up than be rescued, but she couldn't help herself. You have to take care of each other. That's what family is all about. And there's safety in numbers, especially when she's one of them. G froze in her tracks. She'd been walking through the dim hallways for what felt like hours, running her fingers over the rough wood of the walls, tapping the mirrors as she passed, but now her fingertips caught on something different. The doorknob fit easily enough into her palm, warm and round. Now she had to decide what to do about that. She considered knocking, but then thought better of it. If no one answered, she might be tempted to try the knob. And if it opened, she would almost certainly go in. And if she did, she felt certain that she would find someone there, waiting for her. Or, possibly worse to consider, they might just answer the door when she knocked. 
Either way, she wasn't so sure she wanted to see who was waiting behind the door. Finally, she couldn't resist any longer. She opened the door, carefully, slowly, without a sound. If something rotten was waiting, she didn't want to give it fair warning. If it was something nice, she could always apologize for intruding. Beyond the door was a long passageway, dim and foreboding. At the far end, she could see an open doorway with a single light burning in the room beyond. She moved up the hallway as slow and careful as she could manage. Each time one of the floorboards would creak underneath, she would cringe and wait before starting again. Inch by inch, she moved along the wall. There were no doors on either side, but the walls were covered with framed pictures. In the dim light, she could not make any of them out, just the dusty, smudged faces of strangers. Every step, she knew she was moving closer to trouble. She was just about at the point where the door was farther away than the room at the end of the hall. She stood there, halfway between the room and escape. She couldn't decide if she should go in or go back. Then, a figure walked past the open doorway in the room beyond. G froze at the brief flash of his profile, and without any thought at all, she called out, Daddy! G ran up the passageway, bursting into the dimly lit room beyond. Her father stood to one side, inspecting a rack of shelves against the far wall. She ran to him, and just as he turned, she flung herself into his arms. She wept long and hard, her face buried in his side. He patted her back as she sobbed. After a long while, she looked up. How did you find... Her voice trailed off. It wasn't her father. But she knew him. She'd seen him before, outside the diner, across the river. The man stared down at her blankly, his head cocked to one side. Hello, Julia, he said. She backed away, glancing around the room, the desks, the books, the shelves stacked with jars, no other way out. He did not chase her, did not reach for her. He simply stared, vague and mild. He was the scariest person G had ever seen. She could feel the hallway behind her. She took one step back, then another. The man raised his hand towards her, palm out. Do you see my hand? She did. It was right there in front of her, and for some reason, she couldn't look away. Can you see the lines there, the curves and loops, the map of my paths and pains in this life? Can you see it? Can you see the shape of things, the shape of me? Can you see it all there whirling over and into itself? Can you see it all? Can you see my hand? She could. It had grown impossibly huge, filling her eyes. She could see it, all of it, woven together across his palm. It was all she could see. Lines on top of lines, looping this way and that, running across his palm like... It's just like a maze, she thought to herself before the darkness overtook her. It's just a maze. And then she knew nothing. She could hear him talking, 
chatting away as though speaking to an old friend. G opened her eyes. She was sitting in what felt like a dentist chair, only she didn't remember having her arms and legs strapped down the last time she had her teeth cleaned. She was facing a brick wall, covered with shelves. There were rows and rows of jars, each one tagged with a little paper label. The jars were filled with a murky amber liquid, and she couldn't quite see what else was in there. She wasn't sure she wanted to try all that hard. She could not move her head. Something pressed down on her forehead, holding it in place. G was not frightened. She was not scared. She had skipped that entirely and gone straight into white, hot anger. The man walked around into her field of vision, still talking. Where am I? She hadn't really been listening to him, so she didn't feel too bad about interrupting him. He stopped, took a breath, and looked away from her. You're here, in my home, he answered. You're here with me. Who are you? He smiled. I might ask you the same thing. G didn't answer. He ran his hand over a row of jars, rubbing his fingertips together, checking for dust. Anyways, that's when I realized that at a certain point, you're just collecting for the sake of collecting, and the thing itself, the thing that you once longed for, the thing you dreamed of, is no longer important. It's the act itself. It eclipses the thing it seeks. He adjusted one of the jars on the shelf in front of him, aligning the label with the others. You know what I mean? Sure, G answered, even though she didn't. She figured that sooner or later he'd say enough so that she could catch up. Well, you don't, of course. I don't? No, because you're stuck in the middle of it, and there's nowhere outside to stand to get your bearings. It's all about perspective. He tapped one of the jars with his fingernail. There was a faint movement within the jar, but he didn't seem to notice. I've been there during my eye phase, he nodded knowingly, where I just couldn't see where I was headed. I couldn't see the path, just like you are now. Yeah, G shrugged as best she could, strapped down and all. That's, uh... The man leaned in close, almost but not quite angry. She couldn't tell if it was her he was angry with or someone else. That's where it starts, he said. You realize it. You see for the first time in a flash like a lightning strike in your mind. And once you do, you can never unsee it again. It's there, burned into your brain. That must hurt. G figured that the longer she kept him talking, the more time her brother would have to rescue her. I can't explain what it's like. He leaned back, letting his anger drift away with a sigh. You just have to experience it for yourself. He walked outside of her field of vision. Experience what? G wasn't crazy about not being able to see him and what he was up to. She heard him puttering around back there, a metallic scrape. He came back into view, pushing a metal table on wheels across the floor. There was a little red toolbox on the table. The sheer ordinariness of it and familiarity of the toolbox filled her with a sudden ache of sadness and longing. 
Her father had one just like it back home. I'm sorry, he said. I need to oil the wheels on this thing. I didn't hear what you said. I asked, what do I need to experience for myself? The truth, the reality, he told her. The undeniable fact that the story you're writing for yourself, this adventure you're on, is far more interesting than finding your mom. Yes, true. Gee stared at him, the world shifting and rebalancing under her. She realized that he knew a lot more about her than she knew about him. It was not a good feeling. He seemed genuinely disappointed when she didn't answer. Eventually, he told her, you're going to understand. Understand what? The man smiled, sadly. I genuinely pity you, he said. You have so much to learn. I just want to find my mom, she told him. Of course you do, he said, fiddling with something just out of her line of sight. But... You're starting to enjoy the story a little too much, and you don't necessarily want it to end, do you? I want to go home. The man glanced up at her, a little bit surprised. No, you don't. Not really. He smiled. It's okay. I won't tell. How did you know my name? Well, it's a good question, and I don't mind answering it, he sighed. Although the answer isn't going to do you much good trying to loosen those straps. Gee relaxed her arms. What's your name, then? He tilted his head one way, then the other. His eyes drifted over her face. By now you should know how to ask that question without asking. Fine. Who are you? What are you called? Very good. He clapped his hands, pale mockery. Very good. You can call me Juniper. What kind of name is that? It's my kind of name, he said with a smile, and that's why I picked it. G noticed that he hadn't answered her question. Not really. She wondered if he even knew the answer. Now... He looked thoughtful. What was I talking about? The big phony, G thought to herself. Um, first principles? Yes, thank you. He bent over the table, just out of her line of vision. When things get too complicated or confusing, he said to her, all you need to do is go back to the beginning. Find out what's most important to you and strip everything else away. G wondered if he'd rehearsed this speech. It sounded like something someone had written down and then learned by heart. Of course, it's not always easy to set aside the old, familiar habits. He straightened up. There was a pair of pliers in his hand. Even I have trouble with it. Wait, G said. He nodded, genuine sympathy in his voice. I want you to understand, I don't enjoy this. I'm not a monster, and I'm truly sorry that I can't make you more comfortable. But I need your pain. Don't hurt me. G did not plead. 
she did not whine. No, her voice was strong and clear, and there was a part of her beneath the fear and the anger. There was a part of her that was proud of herself. I'm sorry, he said again. She believed him. She wanted to look away, to close her eyes and shut him out completely, but that wasn't an escape. She tried to call on the power she felt, the strength of her voice in the fox's den. Her mind scrambled wildly through the words she could use to stop him in his tracks, wither him down to nothing. He bent over her. She stared up into his placid, regretful eyes. Hazel, flecked with green, a faint cloud drifted across them like the pale swirl of cream in a coffee cup. In a flash, she saw it all then. His name, his secret purpose, the tears in his eyes as he leaned in with the pliers. The obvious, horrible insanity of it all filled her head, and it took everything she had not to scream. But everything she had wasn't enough. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and read by the author, P.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at pmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Even listening to the damn thing is probably illegal these days. In fact, you should stop right now, just in case the feds are closing in on you. I'd wipe your hard drive, too, just to be safe. You don't want them to find all those Firefly episodes you downloaded from BitTorrent, do you? Wait. Did you hear that? Just outside the window? I think it was one of their robotic hounds. The new models have night vision, you know. And now they see everything. Oh my god, I think... I think they might already be in the house. <laughs>